The reading for today is from John 16, verses 16 to 33. In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me. Some of the disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? And, because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see see me? I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask me in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. And Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things, and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered, but a time is coming, and has come, when you will be scattered, each of his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father in heaven, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the promise that when your word goes out, it will not return empty. It will accomplish the purposes for which it was sent. And we pray that those purposes this morning would be to bless and to bring great joy to your people. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. To set the context of our passage today, uh, let me read these endearing words of assurance from Jesus from John 14, verses 1 to 4. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, 
Would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. It's not working very well, anyway. So the underlying current of chapters 14 to 16 in John's Gospel is the departure of Jesus. At the end of chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus broke the news to his disciples that he was about to leave this world and return to his Father in heaven. And it was news that caused great sorrow and grief for his disciples. And I am sure we all can identify with the disciples. We know what it's like to be sorrowful. We can understand what it feels like to be overwhelmed with sorrow and grief. Psychologists tell us that sorrow and grief are slightly different. Sorrow is an emotion and grief is a process. Sorrow is a feeling of deep distress caused by a loss, whereas grief is the process that you go through when you have experienced a loss. And we experienced grief most deeply in times of personal loss, such as the loss of a loved one, the loss of a dear friend, the loss of a job, the loss of possessions, the loss of mobility as one grows old. Now there's nothing wrong with grieving over one's loss. It is completely natural. But instead of keeping our sorrow and grief all bottled up inside, it is actually better to let the tears flow out. In fact, people feel much better after a good cry. But grief can also become detrimental if it turns into despair. Grief can easily lead a person to be resentful and angry or be depressed or even, in the extreme case, suicidal. We must therefore prevent grief from turning into joy. We must seek rather to turn grief into joy. But can grief be turned into joy? Is that really possible? Well, yes, it is. Jesus, in his emotional moment with his disciples, mentions it here in John chapter 16 at the end of verse 20. He says, You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now, this is a huge passage. There are a lot of things in this passage. But this morning, I'd like to unpack that little phrase, your grief will turn to joy. And I want to do it under three main headings. First, the time frame. We're going to think about a time frame. When will the disciples' grief turn to joy? 
Well, it's going to happen. Jesus promised it. But to which events is Jesus referring? Second, the picture. We're going to ponder that picture in verse 21 that Jesus gives, that wonderful picture of a woman in childbirth, a picture that helps us understand that transition from grief to joy. And third, the conclusion. We're going to look at that conclusion in verse 33. Words that conclude not just this last section of chapter 16, but everything that Jesus said in the last few chapters. So turn with me to verse 16. I'm going to read verse 16 to 18. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Well, they are not the only ones. Commentators have debated and discussed these words for centuries. What does Jesus actually mean when he uses that phrase in a little while? Now, in chapters 14 to 16, Jesus has spoken about his death. He has spoken about his resurrection. He's spoken about his ascension to heaven. He's spoken about the coming of the Spirit. And he spoke about that great and glorious day of his return when he will come back to gather up all those who are his. But given the immediate context from what we actually see in this passage, I do think that Jesus is pointing in a particular direction. And that direction is towards his death and his resurrection. And I say that for three reasons. First, the timing of these words. If you remember, it's Thursday night. These words were either spoken around the table of the Last Supper or on the way from the Last Supper to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would be arrested and dragged away to be crucified. In a little while you will see me no more, says Jesus. I am going to be taken from you and it's about to happen. And second, we need to understand that true Christian joy isn't just something we will know when Jesus returns on that final day. It is a reality. The disciples did not have to wait until heaven to experience the joy that Jesus speaks about here. You remember when Mary saw the risen Jesus in the garden, she was filled with joy. And when Jesus broke into that locked room and appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, they were filled with joy. Their grief turned to joy. When? When they saw Jesus again. When they saw him risen from the dead. And the third, that of clarity. If we look at verse 23, it says, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Now that day in verse 23 is the day when they see Jesus again. 
And as we read, that will be a day of clarity. No more questions. All these questions of the disciples, all the things they didn't understand, no more questions. Because the disciples' confusion in verse 18 is to be replaced by clarity in verse 23. All that confusion, all that misunderstanding, all that uncertainty evaporates in the blink of an eye. It all becomes clear, the resurrection. And now with all that background, we come to verse 20, because here we have the final piece of the jigsaw puzzle. He says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. So another reference to the death of Jesus. The world will rejoice when Jesus dies, yet at the same time, the death of Jesus would be incredibly painful for his followers. You will grieve, grieve, says Jesus. When the world rejoices at my death, you will grieve. But your grief will turn to joy. Why? Because Jesus will not stay dead. Their joy will be complete. For they will see him face to face. You see, the joy that Jesus speaks about here isn't like the momentary pleasures that this world offers. It is a joy that we can know today. And it's a joy, as Jesus says, that cannot be taken away. And it's a joy that will increase exponentially when we see Jesus again. So first then, we have the time frame. Jesus speaking primarily about his death and resurrection. And second, Jesus gives us the picture to help us understand this transition from grief to joy. And we have a look at Verses 21 and 22. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And so with you. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. What a magnificent picture that is, and for those of you who have had the privilege of seeing the birth of a child, you'll know just how fitting that picture it is to help understand what's going on here in verse 20. The labor is incredibly painful, but, as you see in verse 21, when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And when you look at that new life in your hands, at that incredible gift that God has given you, the gift of life, all those hours of anguish are so quickly forgotten. Your grief will turn to joy. And this is the picture that Jesus uses and gives to his disciples to help them understand what is about to happen. Verse 22, so it is with you, Jesus says, now is your time of grief, now is your time of anguish. I am about to be taken and strung up on a cross, and it will be incredibly painful for you, but I will see you again, 
in brackets, when I'm risen from the dead. And you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. What a brilliant picture that is. To describe this emotional journey of the disciples over those few days. But before we move on, there's something else I think we must see in this picture. You see, it's not just that the pain is replaced with joy, but the pain actually becomes the joy. The very thing that caused the pain will become the source of joy. Can you see that here in this picture? During labor, it's a child that brings the pain, and it's a child that will cause the joy. The same thing that causes the pain brings the joy. And so it will be for the disciples. It is the cross that would cause the pain, yet it's the cross that would become the source of their everlasting joy. Why? Because at the cross, sin was dealt with. And it's at the cross that we are restored to a right relationship with the God of heaven. And when the disciples saw the resurrected Jesus, it all became clear. The cross was no longer a symbol of defeat, but a symbol of victory and a source of everlasting joy. And so my question for all of you this morning is this. Do you know that joy? Do you know the joy that Jesus speaks about here? The joy of being forgiven? The joy of being loved by our Father in heaven? The joy of being indwelt by His Spirit? The joy of eternal security that comes not on the basis of our performance, but on the basis of the performance of Jesus on our behalf. Is the joy being spoken of here something that you are experiencing in your life today? Well, friends, if not, I please accept the challenge and the call this morning to closer communion with Christ. And what is it that brings closer communion with Christ? You see, it's very easy to miss on the first reading. If we break down these chapters into little chunks, we can miss it. But if you read through John chapters 14 to 16 in one go, you will see it again and again and again and again. How central prayer is to a life of joyful communion with God. And it's there again in verse 24. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Ask God, he will give, and your joy will be complete. Ask God for joy, ask him for strength, ask him for grace, ask him for patience and perseverance, 
to press on through these very difficult days that we are all living through. And as you do, please know that you have an incredibly generous Father in heaven who loves you immensely and he promises to give in order that your joy might be complete. But you see, of course as Christians we can't abuse a text like that. Jesus isn't saying that he's going to give you anything that you ask for. It's not like the heavenly vending machine that you put your money in the slot and you say your prayer and you get a gift. No, that's not what Jesus is saying here. But what he is saying is that if you ask for anything in my name that will bring glory to God and to his people, then our generous Father will give it to us. You know, I think for most evangelical Christians, the issue isn't that we abuse a promise like this. The problem is, is that we fail to believe it. We fail to ask God for joy. And therefore, we fail to receive it. J.C. Ryle, in his little book called A Call to Prayer, wrote what I think is particularly significant given the promise here in verse 24 and the context of our times. Let me read these few words. What is the best means of cheerfulness in such a world as this? How should we get through this valley of tears with least pain? I know no better means than the regular habitual practice of taking everything to God in prayer. Psalm 55 verse 22 says, Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Friends, the only way to be truly happy in a world such as this is to cast our cares on the Lord. Or as Jesus says here in verse 16, 24, Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And so we've thought about the time frame, the death and resurrection of Jesus. We've thought about that beautiful picture of childbirth to help us understand the transition that the disciples were experiencing from grief through to joy. And finally, we come to the conclusion in verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. As we said at the beginning, these words don't just conclude this closing section. They act as a conclusion to everything that Jesus has said from chapter 14 right through to chapter 16. And here Jesus refers to the peace that can be ours in times of trouble. Now there are two things that I would like us to see in this verse. First, this isn't a peace that we get through retreating from times of trouble. 
It is a peace that we can experience in the midst of trouble. Now we're not talking here about retreating to some sort of holiday paradise to run away as if we can run away from all our troubles of life. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is actually promising something far greater, which is the experience of peace in the midst of trouble. And friends, that is a promise that still stands today. We all know that trouble is a reality. But so is peace for those who trust in Jesus. And second, it's a peace that comes from knowing that Jesus is victorious. Take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. Aren't those remarkable words? Especially given the context of the words. Remember, it's Thursday night. The very next day, Jesus is about to die on the cross. Yet, he can still say in the past tense, I have overcome the world. So clear was Jesus. So confident was Jesus in what his death would achieve. That he can speak of victory before it even happened. And now, of course, we all have the privilege of looking back on all that Jesus has done, his death, his resurrection, and the victory that was fought at the cross. And at the same time, we can look forward to his glorious return from heaven when he will deliver us from this trouble-laden world and take us into the trouble-free new creation. And the only question that remains is this. When that day comes, when Jesus returns in glory, will you be standing with him? Because if you are, then on that day you too will overcome. John makes that clear in his first letter. He says these words, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe this, then you will stand with him in glory in the new creation in that wonderful, trouble-free world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for that promise that Jesus leaves with us. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Father, we pray that each of us would know that peace, that we might know the joy of sins forgiven, that we might carry around the hope of heaven in our hearts, that we might know the presence of your Spirit in our lives. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Father, we praise you that these things are so. For Jesus' sake, we pray.
Amen.